The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, welcome to uh, Rebel Podcast. Uh, we finally get to do some content. You don't have Chris uh, with us. Hootie is not here, and nor are we in Garage Mahal. We're on Zoom here, and it's been a little while since we've had content. Uh, we're busy, and we'll actually probably get into a little bit of, about why that is. Uh, but I'm joined with a friend of the podcast. I think we've had Jacob on more than any other guest now that I think about it. Um, so Jacob Rayom is with me, pastor of Trinity Bible Chapel. How you doing, Jacob? I'm doing great, Nate. It's good to be on uh, the Rebel podcast again with you. Yeah, well, we always have fun, uh, have fun chatting. And uh, uh, just before we started recording, Jake and I, Jacob and I were both just talking about how we haven't connected it nearly as much as we used to. And part of that's just because churches are kind of busting at the seams. And we were just talking about what a great time of blessing it is right now. Um, I think a lot of the churches who uh, took a stand early on and uh, have been open through all of this or experiencing some some uh, pretty awesome stuff. Actually, I'll tell you a quick story and maybe this will, uh, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. So there's a guy who was part of our church plant. Okay. So our church was planted about 30 years ago, Crossroads Church, planted out of a United Church. When the United Church was ordaining homosexual ministers, there was a group that was a part of that United Church that broke away and planted a church and then ended up uh, attaching themselves to the alliance. And there's a guy who, uh, who was a part of that original church plant who was ba- just kind of reminiscing that like 30 years ago, 25 years ago, as a younger man, they were praying that God would use the church and that it would have an impact on the community, that it would you know, uh, grow, that it would experience revival and blessing and the spirit of God would move there in a powerful way. And so this this guy, so I've only been at this church for coming up on my ninth year. And, uh, and here's this guy who's faithfully prayed and part of the original church plant who's essentially saying like, now is the time when God is answering all those faithful prayers of three decades ago which I just think is really a, a neat perspective. Um, and, uh, and certainly, I mean, I, I don't like throwing the word revival around, but uh, this is by far the most wonderful and, and precious time of ministry that I've ever, I've ever experienced as a minister of the gospel. And I know it's the uh, same for you over there. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear that. And I, 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 I'm, I am hesitant to use the word revival, but I think I think there have been revivals break out locally amongst a number of churches. If you look at what the marks of revival are, I mean, we have seen uh, so many people from so many different backgrounds become Christians in our church. People are, are basically walking off of the street, never been in church before many of them and asking how to be saved. Yeah. So I've never seen anything uh, to that degree in my ministry. And I've been in this church for 12 years. I've been in ministry for 20 years and I've, I've never seen anything like it. Like we've seen um, people who have uh, backgrounds as kind of new age teachers, um, former drug addicts, um, former Muslims, just former uh, Hindu. Um, and here they are and wanting to learn about the Lord and doing a new believers class, the level of sincerity that I'm seeing in, in new believers that basically what's the Bible say? Okay, that's what I'll do. It's not, there's no resistance whatsoever to what the scriptures um, say. And it's just like the Lord has just opened the floodgates for, for this season. Yeah. And it's a very special, it's a very special time with all the pain that we've had to go through and, and you've gone through your share on your end. 
um, through the persecutions and whatnot, the the blessing of God is uh, he is smiling on us right now in a way that we've I've never seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I know, um, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of had this thrown out at me by, you know, uh, pastors of, of churches that have been far more compliant, who have taken a different stance than ours, who have kind of thrown out like, yeah, you're growing through transfer growth and you're growing through, you know, um, you know, a bunch of freedom fighters and meeting people at rallies and they're coming to your church for protest. And, you know, it, it is interesting, you know, we have experienced transfer growth. There's no doubt about that. People who are frustrated with the restrictions uh, and, and quite frankly, people who on conviction don't feel like, you know, it's, it's a biblical stance to sign up for church and to only take the first 20% to sign up and all that kind of stuff. So there is some transfer growth based on conviction. Um, but uh, even, you know, one of the testimonies we keep hearing is, you know, we started coming to your church because of your stance on lockdowns. We started coming because you were standing for freedom. We came for protest, but instead we found worship and I found Jesus. So, you know, people might be coming, some of them with wrong motivations, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that they don't really meet Jesus um, because the word is still being preached and the spirit is moving. Well, the protest movement, I've spoken at two political protests, one in, in Toronto and then one here locally. And then, of course, we did the outdoor worship service here locally, um, which you were involved in in Waterloo. But what you're finding is with a lot of these protests is that you're dealing with people who are disillusioned um, yeah. with a system that they have had confidence in for a long time. And now all of a sudden, I mean, people call it they're red pilled, right? Yeah, that's right. So the, they're disillusioned with liberalism and uh, socialism and the way Canadians have been for, for many years. And, and then after they get red pilled, they're, they're looking for truth. And then, and then I guess some have, have used the term to get white pilled, which, which means they turn <laughs> to Jesus. So, That's awesome. <laughs> right. So they turn to God. And, and so it, there, there's a sense in which those who are disillusioned at these protests are looking for hope. Yeah. Um, the and and we're providing them hope through in the kingdom of God because they're they're seeing that the kingdom of secularism and multicultural Canada is is essentially on fire and is being torched by their their uh, civic leaders right now. Yeah, for sure. One of the other uh, sort of uh, phenomenon that I'm I'm just wrapping my mind around and I, I don't know about you, but my sort of pastoral counseling load is is pretty high right now, and and part of the reason is because. The people that God seems to be drawing are, are are quite broken people, right? They're they're people who the lockdowns have not been kind to. It's people who have suffered severe depression, who have had abuse in the past, who have turned to substance abuse or back to substance abuse. So, you know, a lot of times we we think of this sort of, you know, you know, uh, down south deep hick, you know, who just likes to fight and screw the government. And it's like, it, th those aren't the people that I'm experiencing are flooding to the churches right now. It's, it's broken people who are desperate and who have been isolated and, uh, and, and need community and need the Lord. So, um, you know, some of the stories are, are, are pretty heart wrenching as well. And it's, uh, it's amazing that God's bringing these people who, who desperately need community. Well, Jesus, Jesus talked about, um, the least of these, right. And, and he, and he actually warns against turning away the least of these. Yeah, that's right. Which is one of the reasons that we wanted to keep our doors open because we don't want to turn away the least of these. Yeah. And so while other um, churches in our community have turned away the least of these, the least of these have been, have been welcomed with open arms and love. Yeah. And found a safe, uh, loving place amongst our congregation and, and our people and myself were, we're happy to have everyone here and to show them as much love in, in Jesus Christ as we can. And uh, uh, having, and, and people have been terrorized by the government for 18, 19 months and make no mistake about it. Their, yep. their own government has turned on them. That's right. And, um, and so he, here they are and people will walk into the church and their first Sunday, they'll just break down in tears because all of a sudden there's, there's hope and joy that they haven't seen um, for a very long time. Yeah. And isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, I, I never tire of seeing that somebody walk in for the first time and they've, you know, a year and a half of, like you said, oppression, tyranny, you know, just feeling like an outcast, being isolated from family, family who won't come and join them for holidays mm -hmm. and, and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden they come and they experience freedom and worship. And 
uh, they break down and it's just a beautiful thing. I never tire of seeing it. No. And this is what the, the church should be. It should be an outpost of heaven on earth. And I think that's, right. that's what people are sensing as they, as they walk into both of our churches amongst this, there's a handful of other churches like ours that um, have been faithful through this time. And, and people are finding uh, heaven meeting earth. And it, it's kind of like when Jesus came down from the transfiguration and what did he find at the bottom of the mountain after this heavenly experience, but what was absolute terror with demonic oppression yeah. And so heaven came down and touched the people and, and brought relief and hope and healing. And, and we're seeing that, um, in our churches. Totally. Yeah. And that actually, that actually, I guess, um, is going to create a good segue for what we want to chat about today. You said, you know, a, a handful of churches like ours, um, and, and kind of what we wanted to chat about you and I, I think have been pretty passionate about this because, I would say that um, a lot of lines have been blurred in the last year and a half, and a lot of a lot has been exposed. And um, you know, as as I would say, reformed evangelicals um, committed to a reformed understanding of the scriptures, um, we thought that the lines were pretty well drawn in in, in southwestern Ontario. If you and I had a chatted, we would have had you know two years ago. We we had a pretty good idea of who our allies and who our enemies were. Um, but those lines seem to have been uh, blurred a little bit right now. And I guess we just want to help our people uh, and those who would be listening to this discern. Um, you know, how do I tell the difference between those who are you know brothers in arms? those who are maybe uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, those who are maybe co-belligerents, they're on our side right now, but maybe not in the long run. Um, who are our allies and who are our enemies? I think that's a really good question that we ought to be asking ourselves right now as lines get blurred, because um, we, we know ultimately that our allegiance is to Christ and the spread of his gospel and the advancement of his kingdom. Um, and part of that right now coincides with this sort of fighting the tyranny and oppression of the state. But that doesn't mean that everybody who's fighting the state is also partners with us in the gospel. So, you know, there's, there's, there's just a, a, a level of complexity to figuring out who's on your side and who's not right now that it, I, I think is what we kind of want to talk about. Um, so uh, I, I just kind of weighed into this a little bit and part of what, uh, what has made us want to have this conversation. So our friend Steve Richardson, who uh, we were going to do some recording with, uh, but something came up with him. And so we're, we'll probably still do a, a specific episode talking about the theology of the Church of God. Um, but he, he wrote a blog post on his, uh, his blog called canadarevival.blogspot.com. Uh, where uh, Steve Richardson and Benjamin Hicks, two pastors in the London area. Steve's actually quite close to us. Actually, so is Benjamin, a little closer to, to us at Crossroads than, uh, than you over there at Trinity. Um, but Steve wrote a blog post called The Church of God and Ray Tinsman. And that's sort of what, what made us start thinking about uh, doing this conversation. Um, obviously, The Church of God in Elmer, pastored by Henry Hildebrandt, has, has had a lot of news. And you might even, I mean, I'm guilty by association in terms of proximity, but I think you've been more, I guess, compared to Henry Hildebrandt and the Church of God, um, because I, I, quite frankly, in Southwest Ontario, it's really been them and you who have eaten up most of the the mainstream media headlines in terms of churches that have been defiant. So, you know, you've, you've kind of been guilty by association for a lot longer than I have. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had, uh, both of us have had a, a lot of press church of God and then Trinity Bible chapel and, uh, pastor and Henry Hildebrand, Henry Hildebrand and myself. And then on top of that, we have the same lawyers with the justice center for constitutional freedom um, both churches and pastors have been uh, held in contempt of court, at least um, we've a couple times. I think Henry has a couple times also. And then on top of that, our constitutional challenges um, are wedded together. Um, so they're on one file before the court. So we will be, I guess you could say, co-belligerents before um, the courts as long as um, we are wedded together. Yeah, and I guess that's that's what. So, um, like I said, we'll have Steve Richardson on to kind of talk about some of the specific concerns about Church of God because I think he did a really good job at sort of highlighting um, some of the ways that we are are very different. And for anybody who hasn't looked into this, 
Um, you know, we Jacob and I have both had conversations and meetings with uh, some of the leadership at Church of God. We're not saying anything in this uh, in this podcast that we haven't said to them in in person. Um, we have challenged them on on sort of their um, their. Uh, Understanding the gospel by grace alone, through faith alone, um, their their idea of apostleship, their idea of um, prophecy and revelation, their idea of the Trinity, and uh, their ideas of eschatology. And so, um, we, I, I think it's just it's just worth noting that. Uh, well, why don't we start with this? Why don't we why don't we kind of define what we mean by co-belligerence? Because you and I use that term often <laughs> as we've uh, kind of sorted our own thinking through this. But how would you define co-belligerence? You called them you called the Church of God co-belligerence because you're you're going to be uh, in front of the court together. Well, we we do have a shared interest, and our shared interest is uh, the end of um, this type of oppression from the government, and so. Um, as we stand before the courts, we're essentially pleading uh, the same case that that both institutions um, have been treated in a way that, uh, not, you know, our, our argument is going to be have been treated in a way that would violate the, the Charter of, of Rights and Freedoms, as well as um, the ancient um, liberties that English speakers have had since time immemorial. Yeah. So we're that's where we find ourselves. Um and but yet there there is there is question as to whether or not we are serving the same uh, master ultimately yep. um, because of some of the statements that have come out of Church of God, which is I mean, I've and, I, and I've as I've told Henry to his to his face uh, are absolutely horrifying. And I'm uh, I, I, it's, it's not easy for me to talk about them in that way simply because i do respect the stand they've taken and yeah. church of god was um it, it was certainly the first uh religious organization and likely the first institution um in ontario at least to take heat yeah. for standing up against uh this tyranny um so they were they were publicly standing up against it um in the spring of 2020 so um there there has to be a level of I think respect for some of the things that they've they've done and the boldness and, and courage that they've shown, but at the same time, we do we are we upholding the same gospel and serving the same Lord is is what the question is. Considering some of the statements that have been produced by uh, that institution and uh, the leadership of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, so we would say some, uh, you know, co-belligerent is somebody who shares sort of a common interest, but perhaps not an ultimate purpose, right? So when I think of your church at Trinity Bible Chapel, you know, I would be comfortable having you in the pulpit of my church, um, you know, partnering with you in gospel efforts. Obviously, we did a joint worship service and what I've invited there. you to come to my pulpit at Trinity. Just, <laughs> I just haven't. Available. Yes, I. Yes, that's true. <laughs> the that's invitation's true. still open. Maybe. All right. Awesome. Um, and uh, and so we, uh, you know, we preach the same gospel. We understand the scriptures in a similar way. We have very similar theology. Uh, I think there's very little theology, actually, in terms of kind of um, who who I might mesh best with in southwestern Ontario than you. But um, you know, there's there's camaraderie there at a deeper level. Um, when we think about you know the Church of God, when we think about some of the other churches, I think about um, even Renee, who uh, from Trumpet to Truth in Woodstock, who's quite close. She's actually right in between, kind of where you are and where we are. Um, she's taken some heat, and obviously we would disagree with her holding the office of pastor, right? Trinity and uh, Crossroads are both complementarian churches and understand that the office of elder has been restricted to men. Uh, and yet here she is, calls himself calls herself a pastor, pastors a, a, a church, and uh, and yet she's taken a very bold stance. In fact, in some ways, I, I, I would look at her as a sort of um, her her boldness and her leadership in this way is almost an indictment on the men who fill pulpits because there's a lot of men who haven't shown the kind of courage and backbone that she has. And yet, you know, what we could do alongside her would be very limited, right? There'd be differences in theology in terms of uh, charismatic gifts and uh, and certainly uh, her filling the pulpit. So, you know, thinking through these, you know, layers of what makes somebody, you know, a brother, uh, what makes somebody a, an ally, what makes somebody a brother in arms, 
uh, versus a co-belligerent is something that it really needs to be wrestled with right now. And I guess, you know, to, to turn the temperature of our conversation up a little bit, uh, our good friend, and I would say brother in arms, Aaron Rock, got into trouble on uh, online the other day um, by essentially he had highlighted a, a Gospel Coalition post and, and basically referenced, you know, what our enemies are saying. And he kind of got raked through the coals um, by a few people on social media for calling the Gospel Coalition our enemies. And I think Michael Haken wrote an article about uh, the dangers of calling brothers and sisters in Christ your enemies. And, uh, and you know, I, I think that this is something that we can help our people think through because for a long time, Gospel Coalition content might have been something that we would have pointed our people to, but not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Aaron. Aaron has thought through um, what he said, and he thought through why uh, he has uh, he called them enemies. And I'm not shocked that he called them enemies, considering some of the stuff that they've done. I mean, if you look at early on um, in this, it, when Aaron Aaron was the first pastor, I think, in Canada that was ticketed for opening his church, and yeah. just as he was about ready to open his church um, during a lockdown, Gospel Coalition Canada. Uh, was publishing an article criticizing him. Well, that was the last time I appeared on your podcast, I think, Nate, is, yeah. is we we kind of gave a mild-mannered, I guess, rebuttal to what Gospel Coalition um, has put out. But it seemed Gospel Coalition just kept um, upping the rhetoric to the point where Paul Carter um, compared us to a children's crusade. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, that's a historical event that happened during the crusade that was just basically a farce. It was a circus. Um, it was futile, waste of time. If people want to look into that. And then, and then Paul Carter, when our church at Trinity was at the height of its persecution um, in contempt of court, uh, Paul Carter called us an embarrassment uh, on the internet. Yeah, total disaster, I think was the a total disaster told us to re reconsider publicly um, and then there's been this guy from the gospel, he's associated with the gospel coalition. His name is, it's Ian Clary is his name. He's from the States, but I guess he's Canadian and he does do work with these guys. He actually went as far as to call me a heretic the other day on the internet and accused me of being a Donatist, which is, which is slander. Um, yeah. it's a lie. It's a false allegation. It's bearing false witness. And furthermore, when brothers like uh, James Coates and Tim Stevens were in jail and taken away from their wives and children and and their churches were under serious attack, um, Paul Carter and the Gospel Coalition Canada was going out of their way to to whitewash the situation. Yeah. And to say that, um, you know, there is no persecution in Canada, just some mild inconveniences. And and again, that I, I don't know how you wouldn't call that bearing false witness. Yeah to an onlooking world saying there's just some mild inconveniences in Canada while pastors are being dragged away from their wives and children and being locked up in churches. James was in the church for 31 days or something like 35 days. Maybe it was several weeks, Tim, a couple weeks, two times Tim was arrested. And, and so you look at, you look at these people who have, who have lied about us, who have slandered us, who keep upping their, their rhetoric and, and then all as they can do is talk about how we need to be nice. And meanwhile, they're not playing nice at all. And then you get a, an article like the one that Aaron linked to online uh, today or yesterday, whenever it was, um, uh, getting down on people essentially for wanting to have religious exemptions for vaccines mandates yeah. at work. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's ironic in this is that Gospel Coalition Canada, some of them I heard say things like, well, you know, opening your church is a conscience issue. And uh, during the lockdowns, and you shouldn't be binding the consciences of uh, churches that don't want to open by calling them to open. And then they go ahead and down and down in the Gospel Coalition of the United States and and start getting on people for having conscientious objections to vaccines. Like these people are. This is if this is is it, is it double tongued? I mean, is that too strong of a word to say? It's terrible what they have done. And and these are real lives we're dealing with. People are losing their jobs. Um, and so I think the reason Aaron is reacting as strong as he is is because he's a pastor and he sees that yeah. his own people are suffering. And I know his people are suffering as mine are, as yours are Nate. And he watches um, a bunch of people at the gospel coalition cold heartedly again, as they've done throughout this entire uh, ordeal. 
um, while they're telling everyone else to play nice, cold-heartedly um, get in the way of people, Christian people, brothers and sisters who have sincere, conscientious objections um, to taking an experimental vaccine. Right. And I think I, I, I want that to be, I want to highlight that. So, you know, no doubt there's going to be some people listening to this who are sent this podcast and, you know, as those 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 awful divisive brothers who are slandering the TGC again. Um, but I, I do want this to be very, very clear. The only reason we keep talking about this is because the Gospel Coalition especially in the States, in fact, I'll say probably exclusively in the States, was a very helpful, um, soteriologically reformed resource for reformed Christians for a very long time. It's a trusted name. And I think it should no longer be trusted for some of the reasons you said, and we, we can go into those a little bit deeper. The reason we're saying this is because they're hurting our people. The reason we jumped on this when Paul Carter did his stuff with Bruxy Cavey is because we have people in our church whose family is being led away from the Lord by Bruxy Cavey's teaching, and then he gets a pass by the TGC. So we're not wading into this to be divisive. We're wading into this because their ministry is hurting our people. And like oh, you said, and like you said just now, so now you have people in our church who have, who have very valid conscientious objections to taking this vaccine. And let's be honest, it could be whatever. And you're right that the TGC has been talking Romans 14, Romans 14, you know, opening your church or attending church during a lockdown is a conscience issue. And, and so, but they can't extend that same level of grace to Christians who want a religious exemption from vaccines. That, that, like freedom of conscience goes both ways and they only seem to slant in one direction. Like if they don't, I actually don't think they believe in freedom of conscience. And right. here's why, I, because, because freedom of conscience is the belief that the state should not be coercing the conscience. Right. And, and so putting pastors in jail for obeying their conscience and, and just dismissing it as mild inconveniences in Canada is not a belief in conscience rights. That's right. And thinking that the state should be able to fire nurses and um, and whatnot for um, not getting the vaccine. I mean, I've heard stories of nurses locally who are single moms who don't want the vaccine, but are afraid to lose their job. So they're sitting there convulsing and crying while yeah. they're receiving the vaccine. Yeah. OK. And these guys just want to callously dismiss this. And and I was people have gotten down on me. Um, for some of the things I have said about TGC with the comments I made on Ezekiel 34 in a sermon I preached uh, right after James, Pastor James Coates was arrested. But people need to know that up until that very point, um, people would come to me from various TGC-type churches, and, I, and people would speak to me about TGC. And my comment was typically along the lines of everyone sorting this stuff through. Let's be patient with everyone because it's not a difficult issue. But as soon as I saw how callously these people reacted when James Coates got arrested, I knew that this was not them um, simply sorting through the issue. Their claim to be sorting through the issue was um, a smokescreen and a pretense for cowardice. And that's all they are. And the reason they came after James or were so callous about him uh, was because he showed how cowardly they are. And and we've seen that with uh, Paul Carter for years now with how he the guy does the only thing that he's done in the two controversies he's been involved in is he's is he's whitewashed the enemies of the church and the enemies of the gospel. He whitewashed Bruxy Cavey, who's an enemy of the gospel and an enemy of the church, went out of his way to give him a good try to give him a good name. He deserves a bad name because he patently denies penal substitutionary atonement, patently denies the inerrancy of scripture, offers a third way on uh, homosexuality in his church. And then now what he's done is he's whitewashed the state persecution. Of, uh, of Christians, of pastors, and uh, the, the subjugation and enslavement of people and the destruction of civilization uh, by, the, by our government. So the, Paul Carter, I, 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 I can see why Aaron would want to call, I mean, Aaron didn't call him personally an enemy, but what do you call someone that whitewashes the enemies of the church and well, whitewashes it, the enemies of the gospel? And I think that's it. I mean, I think um, one, one of my biggest concerns with um, what the Gospel Coalition and and I, I want to be clear that, you know, the Gospel Coalition is is made up of several individuals 
And, uh, and I, but there's also a sort of, you know, uh, gospel coalition ism, right? Like there's a whole, there's a whole circle, like you said, I think TGC, you know, associated churches, right? And, and there's, so there's, it's bigger than just the collection of four guys, four or five guys writing articles on the, the Canadian website there. But what, what frustrates me to no end is that they've claimed neutrality in all of this, right? That was, well, we haven't taken a hard stance and, you know, we're all working this through and what one guy does is, but, but what that, then what should have happened? Like how easy would it have been to say, you know, I might've chosen to take a different stance than Tim Stevens, but so thankful for his courage and may he embolden the rest of us. That's all it takes. Right. And yet it wasn't that it's all been this sort of nuanced, um, hyper passive aggressive, hyper, and I, I'm going to use a word here. This this malakoy, this softness, this this um, desire to sort of um, uh, appear to be um, neutral when it's very obvious that there isn't neutrality. It's dishonest. It's deceptive, and and it's just I've gotten to the point now where um, any grace and charity that I had that this was sort of just my own perception and that's not really how they were uh, has just completely worn off at this point. You can't, you can't walk a line of feigning neutrality for a year and a half um, and, and still get to call yourself the middleman. It's just, that's not what's going on here. Yeah. And you're, you're right. Like the gospel coalition is, is made up of a conglomerate of, of individuals. So they're not all equally guilty in this. I think the worst one in Canada is, is by far Paul Carter who pompously sanctimoniously talks about you know he's he's the chief of police of the tone police yeah um but he's but but at the same time gets to go around and call people um the, the an thing, embarrassment and oh yeah. an embarrassment and and what was the other thing i already said uh, the the um children's crusade and everything yeah. else but but then with paul carter you've got a whole group of them that that their their lips are tight yeah. They don't say anything. So they're on the TGC board and they let all this stuff go on publicly. And so in one way or another, they're complicit. I don't know what good this gospel coalition has done for this country. In fact, since they, I was actually excited when they started up in Canada at all. Oh, okay. This is good. But the two major controversies that they've been through in Canada, they've created more division. They created more pain, more frustration um, than anything else. And I, I think they just need to be, I don't know why anyone would give a dime to them, never mind their time. Yeah. And so I think that um, when, when we're sorting through this idea of allies, enemies, co-belligerents, and how we discern what's going on here, I think one of the things that we need to, one, so one of the first kind of levels of um, discernment is how clear, how clearly are they communicating? You know, one of the things, whether you're looking at the Church of God or whether you're looking at the TGC, and I'm not comparing the two, I don't think their sins are the same. I think they're both in error, but I think they're obviously different, is uh, how clearly are they communicating, right? I, I think, you know, when you look at the Church of God, they're obviously communicating quite clearly in terms of the stance against these lockdowns and things. But when they're making some of the statements that are more theologically um, concerning about prophecy, about prophets, about, you know, all that kind of stuff— suddenly it becomes ambiguous, right? Um, again, you look at the TGC and, and you can read some of these articles where they're talking through various issues and you can read an entire article and say, what did that article just say, right? They're kind of talking in circles. They're talking with such nuance. They're talking with such um, sort of vagueness that it doesn't really say anything. And so when you're, when you're trying to discern where somebody is in something, you should highly value the person who is clear. And you know, one thing I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you props for, Jacob, is <laughs> I've never wondered what you were thinking. <laughs> I value that about our friendship, brother, that, uh, that I've never had to wonder, what is Jacob thinking behind that stoic silence? Um, because you speak with clarity and somebody might not like what you have to say, but speaking with clarity is a virtue that we all ought to um, uh, uh, strive towards. So I think this is one of the things that we ought to start looking at and asking, well, with what level of clarity are they communicating on things that are going on? No, that, that's fair. And, and to be frank, there has been a level of clarity from 
men like Paul Carter, who has called our endeavors a potential children's crusade and who has called us an embarrassment and um, who has said that there is no persecution in Canada and there is mild inconveniences. And so the, it's very clear. This is a, it's a whitewash. He's a man who has said, Bruxy Cave, he's not a false teacher. He's a man who has defended him. Um, and so I think there is, there is clarity coming from the wrong direction on, from Paul Carter on some issues. There's a lack of clarity. There is some ambiguity um, from others in the gospel coalition and, um, and even ambiguity from Paul and his constant talk about, you know, be nice and got to have a nice tone and, you know, tones, everything, you know, people are losing their jobs because they won't get the vaccine and, and churches are being shutting down and, and people are, you know, blowing their heads off and hanging themselves and overdosing on drugs. But Hey, we got to have a good tone guys. That's, that's the need of the hour. But with the, with the church of God, um, I think, I think there is ambiguity there because the statements that Steve has brought to light in his blog are coming from an individual in the United States by the name of Ray Tinsman. So to be yeah. fair, and Steve, Steve does this in his blog very fairly. He's, he says he's never heard this stuff come out of Henry Hildebrand. Yeah. Right. Now there is, there is such a thing as, as being complicit in things. And in the first time I talked to Henry about the statements that have come from Ray Tinsman, who is, I guess their chief apostle, they call him or head apostle or something like that. Henry said that they would clarify them. They're taken out of context. He said, they clarify them. Um, that was months ago. That was back in the spring. He hasn't clarified them yet. I have followed up um, once or twice with him. And Steve says he has too. But, but so there is, there is questions that need to be answered with the church of God still, but, but the stuff that Ray Tinsman has, or the stuff that has been said about Ray Tinsman um, in Ray Tinsman's presence by other pastors within that organization are horrifying. They're absolutely yeah. horrifying. Yes, for sure. For sure. And so I would just encourage some of our listeners, um, you know, I, your your pastor, whoever it is, ought to be accessible to you. And so if you have concerns, because maybe you're at a, a church that has sort of walked a line and uh, they closed down and they've been trying to do various things, um, I would I would ask them, you know, I would I would be very, very candid in the questions that I ask your pastor, um, whether you're a, a Christian who maybe has been going to an open church um, where you don't necessarily agree with all of the theology, go and have conversations with their past, with your pastor. If you're going to a um, what we've coined a sort of TGC church, <laughs> go and ask them what they think. Ask them what they think about your 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 choice to remain unvaccinated. Do they think you're being silly and selfish and uh, making a big deal out of nothing? Because those are the kinds of things. If you're willing to lose your job over something that your pastor is going to flip be flippant about. You know, we haven't even got into, um, I, I don't know, uh, you don't have to reveal on here, but, uh, you know, how many people have been getting in touch with us, asking us to write religious exemption letters because their pastors won't. I mean, this is a big deal. You're going to lose your job over a conviction and your pastor is not going to affirm your convictions. I'm not, I'm not talking about a pastor who might not agree with, with you or have the same convictions of you, but he can't even attest to the authenticity of your Christian convictions and write you a letter affirming that. Um, that's a pretty big deal as well. And writing blog posts against such things, uh, these are big deals. And I think that, um, you know, I, the longer this thing is stretched out, the, the longer or the, the harder it is for people to sort of sit on a fence at a church that's doing things that they disagree with. At the end of the day, um, I think uh, clarity needs to be sought by the church that you're being affi you're affiliated with. You can't go posting on Facebook about how church is essential and the church must gather while you continue to go to a church that is not open. And I think 18 months have gone by. You've written your letters to elders. You've written your letter to the pastor. They haven't seen things your way. And now you, you come to this impasse where are you going to, are, are, you know, is it time for you to make a sacrifice to go and find somebody who is um, a brother in arms? Because there's a lot of darkness going on right now and you need to be standing beside people who have your back. There is a... There is a sense in which um, the spirit of the Antichrist is rising and manifesting itself in our government. And I think by its actions, the government uh, hasn't just declared itself an enemy of the church and an enemy of, of the people, but 
it's furthermore hailed itself as God in Christ in some in, in multiple ways, which we could discuss, but it might be a little uh, bit off topic. But the book of Revelation talks about a church that that props up such a government. That's and, right. and that church is called the whore of Babylon. She's a whore. She prostitutes herself um, to uh, a, a, an antichrist government. And what are what are we to do with the whore of Babylon, but to come out from among her and be separate? Yeah. And so I'm not saying that all the churches who have been compliant are the whore of Babylon, but I am saying that there is there is complicity uh, in the carnage uh, on the part of those churches that they need to repent of, and the people who are in those churches, their souls and their children's souls are are being starved right now. And so there has to come a time in their families where they do come out from among them. And they say, you know, whether my pastor wants me to or not, I must worship Christ in the spirit of liberty and freedom. And, and I think, you know, a, a, amen to that. And I think, um, you know, you and I know a lot of people who have been friends, who have been allies, who we've done gospel ministry with, who um, have seen things very, very differently than we are. And I do believe that freedom of conscience works in both directions. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that uh, there is a way that churches uh, have, can handle themselves through this who didn't necessarily need to be open during lockdown in order to be faithful. But but we're talking about something that's that's a whole lot deeper than just whether or not you went to church during lockdown or stay-at-home orders. That is a big deal, and I would take any pastor to task who closed his church because I think that was wrong. That said, um, you know, there has been – there is this attitude you, and in terms of whatever the state says we will do. There, you know, and, and there are some things – I mean, there are barriers that you're being asked to place in front of people as they come to the Lord Jesus Christ whether that is asking them to be the first 25% who sign up online, whether or not that's masking mandates, whether or not that's um, vaccines. We're seeing that out in New Brunswick right now. We're hearing of a lot of local churches who are already having this conversation, whether it's Sunday morning worship or midweek programs. I know of a couple of local churches who have mandated vaccine passports for extracurricular activities for kids. And uh, it's, it's, these are the kinds of things that you have to, you have to, it's, it's the, the boiling frog analogy is, it has, it has been a, a cliche because it, it rings true. And that is there are a whole lot of churches who, if a year and a half ago, we had told them where we are right now, they would have outright rejected, but because they've made small compromises along the way, they find themselves now in a place that they never would have thought themselves to be. And they've justified it. And so I would just say to any of those people, and, and quite frankly, those might be pastors, those might be church leaders, but they might also be just congregation members who have said, no, this is fine. Okay, no, I don't necessarily think this is the right way to go, but we're going to keep going. We're going to keep submitting to our elders. We're going to keep doing And now you find yourself in a place where you are buying into segregating the con congregation into Jew and Gentile, right? Into clean and unclean, into... and and. There are such relevant texts that are so easy to apply to what's going on right now that I think uh, the time is coming gone when we could uh, talk about this as, you know, this is a conscience issue. No, no, no. I think, I think at this point, the churches that have continued and have simply bowed down to the state and allowed them to dictate what their Sunday morning worship looks like just need to be called to repentance. And, uh, and, that's, and that's where we are. They do need to repent and they need to repent for giving, um, sacrificing the worship of Christ. And our Lord shed his blood to receive the praise of his church. And those are those who have not praised the Lord um, the way he's commanded them to. He hasn't commanded us to praise him on Zoom and all this stuff. It's it's the gathered assembly. The church is a gathering. There's no questionable that's uncontested. No. It's patently true that the church of Jesus Christ is a gathering and those who have not gathered um, to worship Christ for a season, uh, they must repent. They, they have to repent for withholding that from God, for withholding from God what is his. They've rendered unto Caesar that which is God's. And 
And they shouldn't have done that. And you know what? It was confusing times. God's full of mercy. He's full of grace. Uh, he will restore what the locusts have eaten. And uh, But the, the, the way to have that done is through repentance. And Absolutely. so, I mean, you know, our, our church had to, had to do a change of course and an about face. We were um, compliant uh, early on in the first lockdown. And, and uh, we realized that uh, we shouldn't do that. And so now we've paid a price for um, turning things around and um, don't regret paying the price at all. No, not at all. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, grieves me now is that, um, you know, these are conversations I would love to be having with people who disagree with me, right? This is one of the frustrating things about the, the TGC crowd that, that says, well, we should be working these things out. Christian unity is important. Yeah, absolutely. Come to my table and let's work it out. But part of the problem is, is that you, the, a lot of these Christians have already surrendered the one and others of scripture. They're not laying hands on the sick. They're not practicing hospitality. They're not greeting one another with a holy kiss. So they're not willing to have face-to-face conversations with people that they disagree with. And part of the problem is guys like you and I, we, we've continued to do ministry and the kingdom of God marches on. The kingdom of God moves on. And so these conversations would have been really, really helpful a year and a half ago. And now here we are a year and a half later. And it, it grieves me to see some pastors now who have been justifying being locked down for months and months and months who are now on social media, coaxing their people back into worship saying the couch isn't enough. You don't get to say that when you said it was enough for so long. So yes, we want to have these conversations. Gospel unity is important to us. So I would say, and I'll I'll speak for Jacob here too. Our table is open for anybody who wants to come and talk about these issues in person, because um, you know, these things matter and, uh, and we've been the ones who have stayed open and willing to have these conversations. And Jacob and I have disagreed on calls about strategies for gospel coalition or uh, for Liberty Coalition and all these sorts of things. Um, but, uh, but we've maintained this because we were willing to have those conversations and we stayed at the table together. We didn't go home and get on the couch and watch it online. I completely agree. And, um, you know, where is, where is the... Um, I haven't heard any good, I haven't heard any good replies to our arguments that we've made as far as why the church should meet. I've heard nothing. So um, we'd welcome them. And, but the, the silence and the unwillingness to communicate and the name calling uh, that has come from some just proves that I think we have, well, I know we have the right argument. And and isn't it, isn't it funny that name calling is only, only okay from one side of the aisle? Mm (laughs) <laughs> right. I mean, that's like well, you and I, thing, I've, gotten, I've gotten flack for the sermon I preached on Ezekiel 34 because I, I, I called, I call, I, I referenced pastors who are like men without chest or their geldings. And the reality is, is, is I didn't name anyone in that sermon, but all of a sudden a bunch of people took offense at it. Well, one of the farmers in my church has told me when you throw a rock at a pack of dogs, it's the one that yelps is the one that got hit. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that there's um I think I think I I think I hit a nerve and the fact that guys like this um uh Ian Clary are still talking about it 8 9 months later tells me that it was the right word for the right time and I'm glad that's still banging around in his head and in the yeah. head of other people. And the truth is I mean um when when we are called insensitive or mean spirited or whatever it is, um, you know those are the kinds of things that uh, you know uh, we we take seriously and we look and we say you know am I being mean spirited am I am I uh, being um, you know divisive on uh, you know unnecessarily. Um, but I hope that that's true on the other side as well. When, uh, when somebody is called out for being um, cowardly, when somebody is called out for being a man without a chest, um, I hope that that isn't a knee jerk. Well, you know, you shouldn't have said that. Well, maybe examine the argument, maybe examine the accusation first, and maybe it's right. And maybe, maybe, maybe you guys are right. Maybe Jacob and I are just a bunch of meanies, um, but uh, but we're willing to look at that and repent if necessary. So um, I, I just I just laugh at the idea that uh, name calling is okay from one side of the aisle and not the other. <laughs> well, if you look at Ezekiel thirty four, I mean, what does the false shepherd do? He doesn't gather his sheep. He lets them scatter. They become prey of 
wild animals and he puts burdens on their back. And, and all these pastors who've kept their churches closed in the name of Jesus, right. Um, have, have let their people scatter. They've been devoured by wolves. They're full of sorrow and the pastors are what they're, they're at home getting a paycheck for doing it. So, yeah. And, and now that, now that it's lawful in Ontario to have churches regather at certain capacities, they're online telling people to gather when the pastor has everything to gain and nothing to lose. So it doesn't come across well, at the very least it doesn't come across well when, when a pastor gets on the internet after t- telling people to stay home for months and then tells them to get up to church when now he has something to gain and nothing to lose in the process. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jacob, I always like talking to you, brother. Sometimes I, I don't know about you. Sometimes uh, you feel you, you read what's going on. You read the headlines and you feel like you're the insane one. And then you talk to a, a sane brother and you get a dose of sanity. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. Well, what's going on in the world is not normal. We know that, right? Yeah. And, uh, it's not right. It's not normal, but it is, it is good to talk to other people who understand it's not normal. So I appreciate that, Nate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, our friend Steve Richardson was uh, detained today, but we're going to look for an opportunity to record with him again. And uh, so hopefully there'll be more content and we can dig into uh, some specifics in uh, in uh, the Church of God movement, which I do think is important because there's a lot of uh, um, there's a lot of um, people who have kind of got swept up in that. And, and just like us, right, people who have come for protest and got swept up into the worship at our churches, which I I believe and I hope and I think are, and I pray uh continue to be faithful uh there are those who've got swept up in uh in another movement that i think is is perhaps not faithful so we do want to talk about that um and uh and certainly keep praying for uh the tgc keep praying that uh that god changes hearts and uh and pray for us as well um jacob uh you you still got a lot ahead of you and i know your church has a lot of legal battles as well so we're praying for you brother and uh for all of our listeners uh be praying for jacob be praying for trinity and uh and for uh the rest of our brothers around canada who uh continue to um look look down the barrel of guns and uh fines and jail time and all that kind of stuff so keep doing what you're doing brother thankful for uh for your fight yeah you too nate thanks all right well that's all for us uh we'll be back soon uh and uh thanks again for listening